0: another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana.
1: And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And joining us today from San Antonio is NECA McGee, who is the brand new Executive Director of Learning and Innovation at South San Antonio Independent School District. She's also writing her dissertation about artificial intelligence and how that's gonna affect education. NECA, we are so, so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here this evening.
1: Absolutely. And and first, we want to just say again that um, our hearts are with everybody in Texas. You all have been through an awful lot the last couple of weeks. And um, we're just grateful that you took the time in the midst of all of the chaos that you have going on to, to join us and chat with us for a few minutes.
2: Once again, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, it is well received. And we're excited to be here despite everything. We're Texas strong. So that means in the face of everything, we still handle our responsibilities and our commitments.
1: There you go, there you go. Well, we would love to just start by asking you, um, cause you are uh, an expert on artificial intelligence and how that's gonna impact education. What do teachers need to know about artificial intelligence and where it's headed over the next few years?
2: There are several layers involved in artificial intelligence, and one involves how we teach students about artificial intelligence, and the other layer is how that'll impact districts and teachers. So, for example, right now um, there are there is artificial intelligence actually applications that teachers use now. You may see adaptive software programs, um, some several. Um, Colleges and university use chatbots that almost serve as, you know, student representatives that interact with students. And then you have grading software, right? That adds a bit of convenience for teachers. And then plagiarism software that is activated by AI, which students hate Right, and teachers right. Love, right? And so there, there are these positive time-saving measures for teachers and also measures that help out in terms of efficiency for colleges and universities. But then there's the other side. One of the biggest questions that I hear is, will artificial intelligence take teachers jobs? Mm -hmm. And one way that we can look at what the future may bring is where we're at now. And so in this COVID situation where we have a lot of virtual learning, what we're finding out is right now, the vast majority of people actually still want live teachers in face-to-face classrooms. And so the idea that, you know, in a couple of years, you'll have artificial intelligence in classroom replacing teachers is not really where we're going to be. However, now we go to the district level, there are teacher shortages, no doubt. And that's gonna be exacerbated this year because of things like COVID. So how, when a district is looking, how do we have solutions to this problem? Well, now we have a system, right? A computerized system that's adaptive that may help our students. This may be a solution for a district that may impact teachers in a way that they haven't thought of yet. And so we have our positive sides that we discussed in terms of how AI can help Um, teachers uh, save time and provide efficiency for schools. But then we also have that kind of will one day, we go into a classroom and instead of a teacher, there'll be an AI robot. And just to give you an example, there is a robot now called Abby that is created by Van Robotics. And it's actually an AI robot that interacts with kids. It sits in front of the computer, Um, and interacts with kids, and, you know, cheers them on, and provides a personalized experience, so it's not far off that that could be a solution to such things such as teacher shortages.
1: Interesting. That is super interesting. Yeah, to go back to the first part of your answer, I think there's a lot of folks who have some trepidation and fears about AI who don't realize just how uh, everywhere it already is, right? I mean, I, I was thinking about that earlier today as I was typing out an email on gmail and of course now they suggest the next few words for you right they suggest how to complete your sentence that's artificial intelligence it's already here it's already happening right but um like you said the the thoughts about where it can go that's where we really need to be focused on and and that kind of brings me to my next question um you and i have already chatted about this a little bit because we actually met on the gt chat uh on twitter last week Um, And we talked a little bit about the the danger for bias in artificial intelligence. Can you just comment on that for our listeners and uh, what do you see as being the biggest dangers and how do we confront those dangers?
2: So part of it is that the biggest part of AI that we actually see and we interact with is machine learning. And a part of that machine learning actually addresses like these predictive analyses and this ability to draw conclusions and make inferences. Well, it sounds like a a great opportunity if you're trying to build efficiencies in data, right? But what happens is, and what has started to happen is let's take, for example, facial recognition. Just last week, there was an article out about how a man is suing the district because guess what? He was falsely, or ar- ar- um, he's suing a uh, county because he was falsely arrested based on facial recognition software be- that wow. was designed as AI power powered, but it actually um, falsely identified him as someone who had committed a crime. This, mean, this was is not out the of first time mission, it right? Yep. This is Kathy, straight out this of Minority was the third Report. Time.
1: Oh my yes. goodness!
2: This was the third time, and so the bias in, in AI is not just limited to um, just f- false um, arrest. It actually, they built an AI system that determined if a uh, defendant was high risk in determining bail. And guess what happened? In certain races, it said that they were high risk. In other wow. races, it said it wasn't low risk. And so it was describing it based on The data, so remember, AI is code, (laughs) right? Right. Algorithms. Algorithms right now are developed by humans. Humans carry within them their biases. And those biases are coming through in the algorithms developed and operating in AI systems. And they're manifesting themselves through gender stereotypes. It's affecting Uh people when it comes to jobs and getting jobs because there's AI and in criminal situations. And so how could that, impl- what's the implications behind that? I was re- reminded and thinking about um, the conversation and thinking about bias in AI. And I remember a conversation I had uh, at, in a panel discussion or they were having a discussion in a panel. And a guy was so excited because he said, we could enter in all of this student's data and it will predict how well this student will perform in college. And what I was reminded of is when uh, back in the day, as some would say, when school officials used to tell students based on certain factors, well, you may not be meant for college or you may steer them in different directions. And can you imagine if a computer did that, take the person because of the inherent biases that we have, and now you're affecting students for lifetimes and generations Based on a bias that someone put in the algorithm, and so that is the danger of bias in AI. And it is being addressed. We have um, a variety of organizations that deal with ethics in AI that are starting to address these issues. But there are rumblings. There are some. I probably shouldn't mention here, but definitely you can go out and search and see the heat. That is a, a bias in AI and ethics in AI, and how it's rumbling through um, in a really significant way at this time.
0: That is fascinating. What do you think in terms of the uh, kind of practical implications of um, you know algorithms being able to do higher level thinking? What are the you know what are the implications for uh, you know, white collar jobs and uh, you know the professional class in our country and, and and globally. What do you think? What do you think is likely to be most dis- you know to be disrupted um, the soonest?
2: Right. <laughs> well, one of the most interesting um, professions that is being disrupted by AI is the legal profession, and why is it being disrupted? Because AI can generate forms, it can create um, you know, data profiles of clients, it can do many of the tasks that legal assistants have been doing and it, and it can eventually totally disrupt. So that's the main disruption in terms of, do I need a lawyer or do I just have this computer do everything for me or this AI based application? Now where it will supplement is with the healthcare field. And that, and how, what I mean is, can you imagine? And one thing I'm going to talk to you a little bit about early, because based on another uh, question, but being able to di- potentially diagnose things such as cancer or debilitating diseases based on AI and biometric data that can help save lives. And so that's how it can disrupt, and I mean, supplement the healthcare industry, but it will disrupt the legal in- industry at this point. But so far, what is going on is called, we have a lot of weak AI out there, right? And so even though you have things like uh, Alexa, that seems like it could do anything, right? Alexa, buy this, Alexa, you know, uh, turn on my lights, play the song that I loved from three weeks ago. That's still Alexa only being able to do a very minute amount of things when you think about the human capacity and how we think and the connections that we make and research is showing that in terms of high level kind of complex thinking some of the um, jobs that we do as humans now are decades off. AI is is, is not so much at the beginning of the stages, it's actually been around a lot longer than people think. since since the uh, 1950s. But in terms wow. of its intelligence and what it can do, we're still more on the mis- machine learning side. We've started things such as neural-, neural networks, which are starting to deepen those interconnections and lead to where it can do more higher level human thinking. But a lot of that right now is driven by human, uh, human coding. And uh, so we'll see, but the lawyers watch out. <laughs> the AI is coming. I want, for you.
1: I want our listeners to note that both NECA and myself have juris doctorates, so we know where we speak. Um, it's it, the, the legal one, industry has butt, been. Butt.
0: What's that? Neither one of you are practicing. Amazing. Neither one of us
1: are practicing. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Necka, but I certainly don't have any intentions of practicing anytime soon. No, sir. <laughs> but, uh, and, and certainly as a teacher, some of my advice to students for many years now has been, I think twice before you decide to go to law school because it's, it's AI, it's the economy, it's everything. That legal job market's being disrupted. So uh, definitely adds another layer to Our college counselors and and what they need to be telling students, right?
2: Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, um, once again, when you looked at those, uh, look at disruptive technologies, um, banking could be another aspect where you're starting to see uh, disruption and less need for tellers. Um, We've all seen the stock market. You can see now the New York Stock Exchange used to be full. You can watch, if they had a video and you would see people going crazy, throwing things up, right now, it looks nothing like it did in the past. And a lot of that is because of AI-driven applications that can go to, like, the level at which, like, this is the point at which you need to sell this stock. This is the point at which you need to buy this stock. They don't need a broker calling them and telling them the wow. AI is doing it for us. And that's why you see the proliferation of uh, the companies that we uh, heard of with the recent kind of stock fluctuations and um, issues that happened that occurred um, with certain companies.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So, right. speaking of fintech, um, it seems to me that we're, we're seeing uh, folks like singularity.net. Um, and and others begin to uh, build AI applications on the blockchain. What's Mm -hmm. your sense of what the combination of blockchain and AI might lead to when we think about um, just the the use cases?
2: Now that I cannot answer, so I'm not gonna (laughs) even try. But, um, you know, so I'm going to move on for that. Fair I know God. a little bit about blockchain. I know more about AI and education and sure. the implications sure. behind it.
0: How about the stuff that we're seeing with deep fakes? Like, uh, you know, per, uh, p- political, uh, figures and celebrities, um, being able to be kind of caught saying things that, uh. You know, Barack Obama and Donald Trump saying things that, that even they would never say.
2: So I was going to, one of the questions that Ryan sent me, so you can edit this out or edit it how you need to, is <laughs> was there anything that you discovered in my, in my dissertation research that I think we should know? So I'm going to tell you about some of these crazy Please things do. because this relates exactly to what you're saying and it's absolutely back? scary. That's what mm-hmm. you so, There is a, the Pentagon commissioned a laser called a Jetson prototype. And what it does is it uses AI to detect our heartbeats, which are actually unique to us. And it can detect it right now from about 200 feet away. Well, what happened is now companies have used the same type of AI when it comes to deep fakes. So what they do, and I do not know how to pronounce this, but I'm going to try to. It's called um, photoplethysmography, okay, PPG. And they use about 15 kind of um, biomedical measures from our face that allows them to detect deep fakes. And the two companies that pioneered this did so, particularly because or as a solution to videos that were coming out as a result of uh elections and things such as like you mentioned barack obama you know what if joe biden so what they do is use parts of your face they say that certain parts of your face like heartbeats and certain pulses in your face they can detect and determine if it's a fake based on the real you and the fake you so is that just blow blow your mind in terms so of how they're of these, able to
0: some of these AI. lawyers need to be a uh, deep fake uh <laughs> process
2: <laughs> but it's oh the well goodness. i think and this is what i wanted to get into in terms of that though but what are the privacy implications if we've gotten to the point where you don't need my my fingertip you don't need my voice you don't need my eyeball you're looking at if some vein in my face is, you know, a blood is flowing through, you know, a certain uh, through a certain pulse or a number of times. We've gone through a whole level of just, like you said, wow. I mean, the privacy implications and the things that come from that are um, astronomical to think about, but this is why when it comes to education, there are layers. because there's the layer that says so many times when you hear about AI education, and even this is where I started, let's talk about coding. Let's teach kids about Python, because that's what they mainly use for, you know, AI. Let's get into training them about coding, but we, I'd rather a kid have a debate about should we use (laughs) our heartbeats to identify humans in the, in the privacy implications behind that, and there's a, a, a means for that, then necessarily teaching them how to code or doing both simultaneously. So that's
0: wow. that's a really interesting direction, because that is a direction that is kind of antithetical to the Dewey-Francis Parker progressive education model that we've existed under the last 100 plus years. Um, you're talking about either a classical education where we're trying to create virtuous people or some other kind of liberal arts, you know, uh, soft skills, empathy centered kind of education.
2: Well, you mean in terms of people having debates on I'm the talking ethics about
0: philosophically, if we if you're yes. saying, hey, I prefer us to get away from this kind of pragmatic uh, industrial age progressive. Dewey, Francis Parker, you know, highly pragmatic. Where, what are the skills that we're teaching kids? And move to, you know, the Abraham Lincoln, uh, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, you know, make a virtuous person type of education. But aren't those
2: the kind of conversations that they had as they moved to a new age in those times. We have to start thinking about the implications of the next age. Oh, my goodness, this
0: is getting interesting because I think (laughs) what you're saying is, you know, that uh, it's not what can we build, it's whether we should build it or not.
2: Well, it's a question of it's being built, and how are we going to live amongst what's being built? So
0: so this adds a geopolitical layer, right? Because in the West... We, we, we are a little bit more libertine in our perspective. And so we would have limits to what we would do with AI. A yes. country like China, which is um, you know, more communist in its leanings and more communal and centralized, would love AI and would probably push the upper limits of what AI, what, what government's role is in spying on people's heartbeats and things of that nature. And so that that positions a really interesting kind of 60,000 foot view question, which is, is the West, is our society positioned to compete in AI if we will have limits to what we will allow AI to do?
2: So once again, AI is coming, right? And so I totally, I understand your point exactly. But if we don't, discuss the implications of, for example, and I'll take it to another type of level in terms of automation, right? We didn't talk about automation and you're correct. So automation is going on a lot in other countries. We here didn't address it. Well, right now it's automation is starting to take jobs. What do we do? Well, you've heard the solutions. Now let's train everybody to be software engineers and train them to be um, coders. I don't know if that's realistic, but because we didn't have the conversations, that's where we are.
0: But AI is taking the coding jobs too, ain't
2: it? Right. Eventually it will. You now have, you have AI that is starting to self-code and do self-algorithms. Wow. And so if we don't talk about the implications and you go back to being pragmatic, what is going to be the... Pragmatic solution. You hear some people saying, "Well, now we need to give people," in some, and they've uh, piloted this. Let's give everybody universal basic income. I mean, th- these are real conversations that people need to have as a result of what is coming. And uh, if we don't have those conversations, and it comes too late, um, the implications for our society are are quite dangerous. But that's where the education comes in, and that's where educators have. Uh, can influence uh, what happens with AI and how we address it in the future. Um, Not only because, uh, or or how we teach it, and that's why I say we have the coding piece of it, which a lot of people focus on, but there is a lot less focus on the debates and the ethics and how we will continue to interact with AI as it gains, you know, more human-like intelligence.
1: Right. So mm-hmm. NECA, one of the, one of, you know, as, as I'm talking to students about these things, you know, one of the things that I'm constantly trying to balance, uh, you know, in my own classroom is, you know, not wanting to scare children, but on the other hand, wanting those children to be prepared for the future, like you're talking about. As you're guiding teachers through um, how to teach about AI, what are some of the best practices that you um, give those teachers? How do you guide them towards that that balance between not trying to scare kids, but also wanting them to be ready for the future?
2: So the first thing is to start small. And so, because AI is expansive, there's so many parts to AI that, I mean, you couldn't design lesson, I'm saying like a K through 12, just your your average, you know, teacher who is not steeped in computer science and software engineering. It is way too much. But we also want that type of, you know, AI and computational thinking and the implications behind it to be accessible. And so when you think about the lessons, one thing that I like to kind of introduce is um and this is something i learned in the sd uh, and gm program is they start off by you're showing images so you want to show how machine learning works and how it generates algorithms so you may show something like a dog and you might have five images and so you start to hold them up and you say okay tell me what makes this a dog right and so they might say things like it has four limbs it has fur it has whiskers okay great so you're you put these things down and you say okay this is the algorithm for the dog you have just trained your computer how to identify dogs then you start putting up other pictures of things that may have similar characteristics you might put up a cat well you know and they'll say that's not a dog it's a cat well you put that it does it have fur does it have whiskers does it have four legs does it have a tail then you can start to say, well, this is why it's important that, first of all, how you get a general idea of how a- AI works and then the importance of how we, why it's necessary to get AI right. And so you make it accessible first, but then you don't deny the truth behind it. You just speak to it in a way that's accessible. Um, And then it provides other insights into AI as well. If you get into higher grades, for younger grades, it may just be, okay, well, what else do we need to add, right? To make sure that when the um, computer is identifying dogs and cats or identifying dogs that it doesn't identify a cat as a dog. That may be for your younger grades. Your upper grades, then you can get into things like the bias. Well, now you're identifying cats as dogs. this is how bias starts to happen because and this is remember what we did when we talked about that we didn't talk about the gender of the dog the rate the type a speed um not species the um the breed the breed of the dog right yeah. so but that also is what's happened when it comes to ai you're taking out everything except for the the very basic parts and still bias occurs that's how deep it goes and so those are conversations for the upper grades but remember how simple we started just with images and how you can layer that. The other part is with games. And so many, if you look at even Code.org, IBM, several of these of the sites that um, are supporting AI and supporting knowledge about AI have games that do similar things that show, okay, we're gonna identify um, fish, we're gonna identify cars whatever you may have and those games providing an accessible avenue for kids to learn about the basic basics of ai without it becoming overwhelming so that's what when i talk to teachers about introducing ai in a platform that is accessible but can also be layered those are um the suggestions that i have for them
0: what are the what are the um the skills, so so you know, people will say you know the last job that AI will take is the is the kindergarten teacher, you know, because the kindergarten teacher has a uh, very and sundry skills, but but one of which is is providing pastoral care to a group of you know five year olds. What are some of the other jobs that you think are um, the most difficult for AI to um, disrupt?
2: I feel like uh, even though we talked about healthcare, remember, I, I think AI will continue to be a supplement as opposed to the uh, disruption. Um, there are certain um, fields where it's it's always gonna need that human touch and I always liken it to for teachers. I have... Um, been i've loved computers i've actually had one-on-one classrooms for longer than i care to admit i'm not going to share my age, (laughs) but i really have loved tech and integrating tech and even when i had all of my kids on computers doing work guess what they do they look back miss mcgee come over they need that human right can you imagine so i know they have things like teledoc right now right or telehealth that where you have the doctors coming over there Sometimes, particularly with those hard decisions, you're always gonna be looking for that human connection. So when you think about those jobs that require human connection, those are the ones that will be uh, most, or be safe, I think for a long time from AI. But things such as, you know, let's look at right now, grocery stores, within 10 years, it would surprise me if you didn't see a single human during your grocery store experience or during your retail, let me say this, retail experience. Wow. Because do you require a, a, a level of, and when I say intimate, I don't, you know, I mean it in the sense of a connected human experience. Do you need that?
0: Not at Walmart, but maybe at, um, okay. At uh, Hermes, you know, like at. Berkeley.
2: <laughs> uh, but what's going to happen is what what'll end up happening is that that deep fake that the PPG will look at you, identify you, and know what type of Hermes scarf you're coming to get and pay $6,000 for before you even walk in the store and it'll probably have it bagged up for you. Is it going (laughs) to give
0: you champagne and tell you that you're a better human than everyone else?
2: (laughs) You know what? Well, and this is the thing, and and I think it's Japan. In Japan, they've already given a a AI powered robot citizenship, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. That's where we...
1: It's <laughs> yes, kind of like really so- an interesting debate to have with your students, right? We- <laughs> know.
2: Well, you know, you know how I found that out? It was a, um, it was a, we were doing a activity, and it was like the tr- tr- uh, three um truths and a lie. And sure. I-, <laughs> I was like, wow. that can't be true. You got you, got you. oh, you your future may be that it is a, a, a you think about even chatbots are, are getting more Uh, sophisticated. There may be a time when you're on the phone, like there's still that computer rock, but it's getting so much better. You may start to have interactions like the Turing test where you have no idea that you're talking to a computer. So I I don't want to say that we're too far off, but I definitely want to give validity to what you say, Adam, when it comes to that human connection, it'll become more about the experiences. Massage envy isn't going anywhere because people are going <laughs> to still want those massages. You know, you It go. may be that that human connection is that, that instead of going to the retail, the retail experience will become the experience experience. I am going here to get an experience that involves a human connection. And wherever those things lie is is where the future is. But I think anything that can be taken over, automated, programmed, and predicts. Um, I don't know if you saw that program It was out a couple months ago on Netflix about how social media um, is able to, with the AI, is able to shoot ads to you, is able to, um, if you don't right. get on to, to a certain... Uh, application for a long period of time based on the predictive analysis and things from AI, it'll send you messages designed to get you to get back on and stay on those type of things, are, you know, going to still be there, but we need that human connection and that'll be there as well.
1: You're, you're reminding me of uh, several conversations that we had with guests last season. Um, we had several folks working in the ed tech space who told us like listen tell your kids to double down on the humanities. You know, um STEM is great, but we need people that understand the human condition. We need people that can empathize. We need people that know how to connect on a, a deep intimate emotional level like you're saying. And and it sounds like you're you're agreeing with those to, to
0: we need people who are used to making thirty five thousand dollars a year
1: because all the white-collar jobs are getting ready to get taken. <laughs> well, maybe so. But maybe, you know, um, it, the best way to prepare for this this um, technological future is to to pick up some Shakespeare, to, to pick up some uh, some Marcus Aurelius. Right, Adam?
0: Uh, I love it. And that is a tremendous segue into The Furious Five.
1: Well, there it is. So, <laughs> Nechal, we'd like to uh wrap things up with um a section we call the furious five it's just gonna be five quick questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've talked about tonight they're just kind of fun get to know you type questions and uh we encourage one sentence two sentence rapid fire answers you know so don't overthink it just
2: they're all gonna be related to the ai and a robot <laughs> no i'm just
0: you're on a four minute countdown guys
1: there
2: you go there you go. question
1: number one for the furious five what's the best movie or tv show you've seen recently
2: oh wandavision no more to say than that i'm a marvel fan and i think they've done a great job with wandavision
1: wandavision love it my nine-year-old and i have been watching wandavision together it's fantastic
2: I was gonna say the Mandalorian because I'm still just totally geeking out over, sure. you know, Luke Skywalker. I just, sure. but it was too far away. So
1: tremendous, tremendous. Second question: What's the best meal you've eaten recently?
2: Um, salad. <laughs> okay, okay. Anything, that's a, any? <laughs> you put know that a
1: deep fake, but we're
0: gonna go with it. You know that's a deep fake, but you go.
2: Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Look, you think I'm playing. This is all we had
1: to eat. We could get it in a box. I'm about to get your heart rate out there. Things, things are hard in Texas right now.
2: I love, my vein is telling me. Oh, man. <laughs> oh,
0: man. Right, guy, right guy, we're at two and a half minutes.
1: Third question. <laughs> if you were stuck on a desert island with only one book, what would you want that book to be?
2: Ooh. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Yes,
1: a Dostoevsky fan. Oh, my goodness. You're, you're my new favorite guest of all time. Thank you. I, I have been obsessed with Dostoevsky since high school. Yes. Oh, my God. What a great Yes,
2: me, me as well. I love I, it. I have a pet snake
1: named Alyosha after Alyosha Karamazov. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Fourth question for the Furious Five. Who is somebody on social media that our listeners should stop what they're doing and go follow right now?
2: Mm, Colin Seal, who deals a lot with get the education and equity. And I think that he has got a lot of insights and particularly because he's on a critical thinking revolution. That's important. Critical and complex thinking are skills that people need for the future.
0: Fabulous. Last question. What do you know to be true about AI that some of your colleagues that are working in the space would disagree with you on?
2: Well, I believe that there is the peril of AI and there is the promise of AI. And so despite any negative implications, I actually am an advocate. And I think that with all things that uh, AI has the power for good. And so I wanna be an advocate in, in my research and in my conversations. I wanna be an advocate to show that AI can be used for good and a part of those ethics conversations as well. I don't wanna be on the back end when we can't do anything. Now is the time, the future is now. And now is the time to have those conversations about AI. So it does, it is a good for the future
1: tremendous Neca. we can't thank you enough for coming on with us Uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you we're gonna have to have you back on to talk a little bit more about gifted and talented education because I know that's your background and it's a passion of mine as well we've got a lot to talk about there but for right now just thank you thank you so much for. next time
2: I'll learn about blockchain